Hi, I'm Avital Ash. I'm Jessica Richards. And this is... He's Right Behind You. Ah! He's right behind you. Very excited to have third time guest? Seventh time. Seventh time guest. <laughs> Amir Blumenfeld. What's up? <laughs> I, we're figuring, we're still figuring out this whole recording from home thing, but I'm like, I feel like trying really hard to project for the mic and then Amir's really casual. So maybe I'll just take my cues from you. Is I think, this right? yeah, I think your voice is louder in your own head. So yeah. I'm actually louder than you are. Whoa, he's mansplaining volume to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, help. <laughs> uh, before we dive into today's episode, two quick updates that I want to share. One is that uh, our former guest... Also, who did the podcast twice, Christina Karchner, is on Never Have I Ever right now, and she's blowing up. People are obsessed with her. There's all these, like, <laughs> tweets about how beautiful she is, and I have to say, I get it. Oh, she's gorgeous. Oh, it's crazy. Get out of here. And I watched that whole show in one sitting. <laughs> she's so good in it. I want more Christina. <laughs> and secondly, I'll do a quick shameless self-promotion, which is that years ago, I made a series called 7P10E about a long distance relationship recorded over Skype. And it's very timely now that we're in quarantine. So if you haven't watched it, please check it out. You can just go to www.7p10e.com. That's like 7 Pacific 10 Eastern.com. And I think it's an enjoyable ride. I would agree. And we can, uh, we can put the website on the Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's it for my updates. Jessica, what have you got? I'm on book 15. <laughs> what is it? Uh, well, I'm about to start a new book called No Judgment. It's a rom-com about a hurricane. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm doing what I can to survive, which is reading a lot of uh, rom-coms. You read 15 books? Yes, so far. Damn. I don't even have the attention span to read like Instagram comments anymore. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I keep thinking like, is this impressive? Because if it's all I'm doing, it feels like it's less impressive. Like maybe I should have gotten through more books by now. Reading is always impressive. <laughs> Speaking of reading, this is a smooth segue. We're doing American Psycho today, which is one of Amir's favorite movies of all time. But before I let you say anything about it, <gasps> I will say he was talking about uh, all the comments that are referencing Reagan in this movie. And I was like, bring it up on the podcast. And he said, you can bring it up. So you sound smart. And I said, well, I've read the book, so I can already sound smart. <laughs> and I have. And I am. And I do. So watch this. <laughs> the whole thing's an allegory, people. <laughs> I did not read this book. I read it in high school, and it haunts me still. Like, was it assigned? We, it was the best teacher I've ever had. I think about him all the time. Mr. Shinovsky, I love you. And we, it was an AP English class, and we already took the AP test, but the year wasn't over. So it was like, all right, let's pick something sort of like for fun that we can all read and talk about as a class. And we landed on that, which, yeah, scarred me even as a senior. Yeah, that's crazy. You read in school. I'm from Texas. That would not have been allowed. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> Amir, why do you love this movie so much? I love that. It's funny. I like the words people say. I like the way it looks. I like the story. I like the action. I like the plot. Everything about it is good to me. That's good. I know Jessica's favorite part. Reese, uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who actually ended up being my favorite part, too. But yeah, well, let's dive in. I didn't realize until, I don't know, like 45 minutes in that I've never seen this whole movie. Because I remember renting it when it came out, whenever it wasn't like at Blockbuster and I was, I don't know, 13 or something, because of Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> and then 
when there wasn't very much Reese Witherspoon and there was like a lot of murder, uh, I think I think originally I turned it off when they murdered Jordan Catalano from mm-hmm. My So Called Life because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, never mind, this is not for me. But you loved horror. This, um, yes, but it's a different type of horror than what I loved when I was growing up. Okay. I don't think as a kid or as a teenager, I was like really open to satire. Yeah, I don't know if I understood satire. I understood that it was stylized. Like I I got that, but I was also, you know, he's killing Jared Leto, who I had a big crush on, and Reese Witherspoon's nowhere to be found. So my interest kind of disappeared. That makes sense. (laughs) So this was a fun watch for me because uh, I really didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, I remembered like a couple scenes very vividly. And then, of course, you see that Halloween costume every year. And the cast was surprising. I didn't realize so many people I knew were in it. Yeah, Justin Theroux and Lucas. Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas. Willem Samantha Defoe. Mathis. Yeah. Willem Dafoe I didn't remember at all. Wait, what do you know her from? Uh, the Thing Called Love, which is a movie I put on every time I'm like in a really, really low place. I always put on A Thing Called Love and it cheers me up. Oh, good to know. I put on American Psycho whenever I'm in a low place. <laughs> <laughs> so we both love Samantha Mathis movies when we're low. <laughs> Which one is Samantha Mathis in this? Oh, she's the one he's having an affair with who is like passing out at dinner. Oh, yeah. And she goes out with that tumbling, tumbling dickweed. (laughs) And he looked so familiar and I had to look him up and I was like, I feel like he's in Whit Stillman movies. And what's weird is he is, but not in any of the ones I've seen. I thought he was like in Metropolitan and he's not. So I don't know. I love that you reference Whit Stillman because I recently was watching um, one of his movies and I was so excited about it. Uh, I knew him. He's also from Big Love. With Chloe Sevigny. Cool. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I didn't remember her in it. I mean, it made sense. She's very of the time. Also, I'm a big New Order fan. And whenever we hear that song, Amir's like, this is from American Psycho. I'm like, this is from New Order. (laughs) This is fucking New Order. (laughs) Yeah, from American Psycho. (laughs) Do we walk through? I mean, there's a part of me that's just like, I don't know. You've all seen American Psycho, right? You know the gist. This uh, Wall Street douchebag who's really into himself and a total narcissist, goes on a murdering spree, or does he? (gasps) And that's basically the movie. Yes. Yeah. It's the height of, uh, I guess, Republican Reaganism in the late 80s, and he embodies everything that, I guess, this liberal author hates about conservatives. You know, Brady Snellis has, there's been some debate. I don't know that he's fully Republican these days, but he has spoken in a way that has made liberals mad where he's not necessarily condemning the behavior of Republicans and Donald Trump these days. Yeah. Well, you know, we all grow up and get our head on straight eventually, whether it happens today or tomorrow, it'll happen to you. Goes out with that loser Bateman. I mean, what a dork. (laughs) It is so weird to think of Brady Ellis as like anything but a liberal, but I don't know. I should look it up in case there have been updates, but it was like a year ago that he was making headlines. IMDb had like a quote that I guess like a reporter or someone that I reviewed the movie said at the time was like, um, a book written by a misogynist turned into a film directed by a feminist. And I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I really, there were a lot of moments where I was like, I don't, I, first of all, I love that it's directed by a woman and, and written by her and another woman. Yeah. I don't know if I could have enjoyed a lot of those scenes I think it would have been different done by a man. And also I probably would have just felt differently about it. Thousand percent. She has a new movie coming out. I was like, this sounds so good. Also didn't realize she was Canadian. 
That's cool. I like the Canadians. Canadian made American Psycho? (gasps) The horror. (laughs) She has a movie about Salvador Dali coming out with Ezra Miller, Tim Roth, Ben Kingsley, and Leslie Manville. I'm into that. All right. Back to American Psycho. Well, just right off the bat, have you guys seen Dexter? No. I've seen a bunch of season one. Not all of it. The opening of this is like reminiscent of Dexter to me in a way that I was like, oh, is Dexter trying to do an homage or something to American Psycho where it's like food. At first you think it's blood and then it turns into food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A charming serial killer. (laughs) Well, Amir was saying as we were watching this, he's like, you know, the trick of it is that he is this horrible person and you're still rooting for him. And I was like, I'm not. Yeah, not either. Yeah. (laughs) I'm enjoying watching this movie, but I'm not rooting for him at all. No, I was openly rooting for Christy. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Christy, the one who he names Christy. He picks up a prostitute and tells her that she's Christy now. Yeah, that that whole stuff was really hard for me to watch. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to watch. Not really a blonde. More of a dirty blonde. That's the next one. <laughs> yeah. Not Christy. That's, that's Sabrina. Survive. Yeah, Sabrina. But you're rooting for him, Amir. Is it because you hate women? It must be, right? Otherwise, why would I be rooting for him? I think it's because he's really jacked and handsome and funny. I want him to continue surviving at least until the end of the movie. I appreciated how much effort he put into his skincare. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good L'Occitane plug, if that's how you say it. L'Occitane, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's men don't put enough uh, effort into that. And as women, we have to put so much effort that I was like, he gets it. Yeah. In the morning, if your eyes are a little puffy, do you wear an ice mask too? Um, I'll dunk my head into an ice bowl. Wow. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Patrick Bateman style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just put my face in there. It gets rid of the puffiness and it <laughs> makes my skin a lot smoother. <laughs> do either of you ever try to refer to Justin Bateman and accidentally say Patrick Bateman? Because I do it all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, because I don't, I didn't watch this movie. <laughs> well, you're going to start to. <laughs> <laughs> well, even also from reading the book. Justin Bateman I'll report wishes. back. Oh, by the way, have you read the book, American Psycho? I have read the book. (laughs) That's cool. Um, I will, if you guys want to hear, point out some very quick choice excerpts, the things that stay with me 15 years later. Okay. Ready, Jessica? I'm ready. They are. One, at some point, he kills someone and then cuts off their head and then is fucking their head. I don't remember if his dick is in their mouth or in their, like, neck guts, Mm. but... He does have sex with a head. Uh, does he wear a condom for that? I don't think so. Is that where yeah. the term getting head comes from? Amir's canceled. <laughs> um, another thing that I remember finding very funny, even though as I'm about to say it, it's very disturbing, is that at the gym where he works out, which do we ever see the gym in this? No, he sort of works out at home. Yeah. Very quarantine chic. Yeah. yeah. Jinx, you guys. He... he Goes to like a gym or a spa or whatever, you know, some fancy members only thing in my memory anyway. And he has a locker uh, that's filled with women's vaginas with like a ribbon tied around his favorite. Mm. Um, That was fun. And then my favorite thing, which is not in the movie, is he goes to a U2 concert and I think he's like front row or second row, you know, he's VIP and makes eye contact with Bono. And in that moment, he knows that Bono is telling him to kill someone or maybe specifically to kill a child. And that to me was hilarious, just that he like thinks he's having this conversation with Bono via their eyes. I guess I, I can understand production-wise why they cut those scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
kind of like the ATM machine telling him to, it wants a cat. Yeah, <laughs> that was the that was the compromise. We gotta cut Bono, but we can keep the ATM. Feed me the kitty part. Yeah, yeah. I bet an ATM had a, had a lot more affordable rates than Bono. Yeah, it's true. But they did get the rights to so many amazing songs and they get to like talk about genesis and whitney houston and they get all that music which is awesome yeah but they didn't get the rights to any whitney houston songs i read that where it was like she she said absolutely not so then they just talk about it <laughs> oh right i guess you don't hear it they just no, mentioned the greatest love of all is playing in the background maybe it's the instrumental track and not her voice yeah cause that's what i read was she said no wow so you can still talk about it and have the instrumental but not any actual whitney I guess it's also possible she said no, but the publisher said yes. I don't know. I don't know enough about the music industry. We'll look into it. We won't. That's what you should do on quarantine is really dig deep into the music industry. (laughs) The music rights of American Psycho. (laughs) Yeah, get the Wonder Years finally released on DVD. (laughs) I will say my favorite scene is the scene where Patrick Bateman is breaking up with his girlfriend, Evelyn. Reese Witherspoon. Yep. And she's so cavalier about it. She just like doesn't take it seriously at all. And she says, but you like when he says... That he's serious and he wants to break up. She says, but your friends are my friends and my friends are your friends. I really don't think it would work. (laughs) Kill me. (laughs) I love that moment. I love in the limo that she's like, we should really get married and get Annie Leibovitz to photograph it. Yeah. (laughs) And that he's like, I can't take the time off of work. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand why you don't just leave that place. Because I want to fit in. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's so good. (laughs) It's so clear. (laughs) It's interesting. So his dad like runs it or something? Uh, she says your dad practically owns that place. So like, he's probably everybody that we see is like 27 to 30 year old vice president, completely interchangeable white guys, (laughs) though he has a slightly better haircut. And I guess his dad is like a president. So it's like the same thing, but 50 year olds. Yeah, maybe all their dads are presidents. Yeah. That's what I was wondering, because I was like, if I would think that he people would know who he is if it's like your daddy runs the company or something, but maybe all their dads do. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I'm, I'm almost positive that the restaurant that they're constantly trying to get into in the book was also called Dorcia because I remembered the name. But I'm bummed that we never get to see it. I want to see what Dorcia's like. <laughs> we see like glimpses of fancy restaurants that are like being made fun of. And I guess Dorcia is one of those. Like, right, but Dorcia's at, peak. Yeah. Is it above Espas? Is it above Texarkana? <laughs> of course. What's like the modern day... Uh, Dorcia in LA. I feel like the foodie movement in LA is now like casual, like Jitlada and like whole, cool hole in the walls. Fine dining is 80s. Cool street carts are now. But what's that one place? Like Bestia, maybe? Oh, yeah, Bestia. But even yeah. that's like yeah, everyone that's, wants yeah. it to be casual. There's no more white tablecloths. Yeah. But I mean, like the place that, that if you were like, oh, can I get a reservation on Friday? They would laugh at you. Yeah. Bovel. <laughs> Oh, we've been there. <laughs> I was thinking of what are those places? Okay, there's there's a couple places. There's one that's like, I think it's all in darkness so that your taste is heightened because you can't see. Pass. Spago was like an original LA 80s and 90s fancy restaurant. Oh, yeah. Spago's Wolfgang Puck. Yeah. I'm looking this up now. Like a sensory <laughs> deprivation restaurant. There's a place called Opaque. That's a great name. (laughs) Sea Urchin Ceviche. Another place called The Blind Cafe, which seems kind of offensive. It's in Seattle. But then isn't there a place that's um, also a famous chef and it's called just like Meat, but not that? Oh, yeah. Animal. Animal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Animal seems like it could be a bestia. How'd you get a reservation on Friday? 
I don't know who they are, but that's because I could not get a reservation at Dorcia to save my life. <laughs> Which neither can he, and I kind of like that. Like, he's supposed to be, like, important, or at least he's self-important, but even he can't get in. He's not as important as Paul Allen. I mean, you saw his business card. <laughs> that business card scene is crazy. <laughs> it's so good. That's maybe my second favorite scene. I think that's the most memorable part of the movie. Yeah. Let's yeah, see Paul I think Allen's card. That part and him in the raincoat doing the little dance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Talking about Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> yeah, that part was very memorable to me. It's also weird how, to me, how young and old Willem Dafoe looks in this movie. Like, he somehow looks exactly the same and also 100 years younger. Yeah, he's amazing. He's so good. It was 20 years ago. Yeah. So it's probably like 50 and now he's 70. I don't know. Maybe it was 40 what? now. Yeah, 40 and 60. I read on IMDb that the director, she had him do each scene uh, three different ways. One where he knew Patrick was guilty, one where he didn't know, and one where he wasn't sure. And then she edited all three of those together into each version. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it's weird that Mary Heron hasn't had a huge career. She's directed a lot of TV, but I'm excited for her next movie. Well, and the development of this, I like read all about it on Wikipedia, and that was really interesting about how many like male directors got their hands on it and then like it was supposed to be Cronenberg for a while oh interesting and then at a certain point uh Mary Heron got it and she wanted Christian Bale to do it and they had like a handshake agreement and then uh Lionsgate bought it and they wanted Leonardo DiCaprio to do it whoa I guess he did it 20 years later as Wolf of Wall Street and she didn't want Leo she wanted Christian Bale and so Leonardo DiCaprio was going to replace her with Oliver Stone Wow. And then they had like a male write it, like a, a male, a person who's a man. Um, and it, it was like this whole back and forth thing. But then it was going to be a big budget thing because Leo's like asking price was $21 million, So then the movie was going to be like a $40 million movie. It's like, it's just one of those crazy like developmental development journeys where, and then at one point like Ewan McGregor was going to do it and Christian Bale was friends with him and he was like, please don't do it. I want to do it. Mm. Yeah, this was one of his earliest films, Christian Bale. Well, not really, because he did Newsies and Swing Kids and Empire of the Sun. But so, isn't this his first, like, man role? Yeah, maybe as an adult. Yeah. This was, like, the, the movie that made him a movie star, I feel like. Because yeah. then this really opened the leading man, he can do whatever he wants roles. Yeah. You know he was only, like, 24 or 25 when he shot this? Crazy. Really? Yeah. He's such an adult. Seriously, if you had said he was 44, I would have bought it. Like, he's also like that. I cannot tell how old he is ever. Well, it's because of his incredible skincare routine. So fun, (laughs) Mr. Bateman. So smooth. (laughs) I love those moments where normally in a movie I'd be really annoyed and I'm not in this because of, I don't know how to phrase this. I'm phrasing this badly. Basically, when he picks up Christy the second time, there's that feeling of like, she gets in the car, he gives her the check, and I'm like, run, get out of the car. And she does. And it's so satisfying. And then, of course, she comes back because he's holding a bigger wad and she wants that cash. <laughs> that wad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love that she's smart enough to, like, grab it and get out of the car to start. That whole thing where they have the three threesome sex and then he's like, I'm not done. And then it just cuts to them being, like, beat up and really scared. That I thought was really effective. Me too. I love that they of, don't like, show it. 
Yeah, of like us really wondering like how much of a monster is he? Because they're right. they're really scared. They do really good acting in that scene. Those girls. They do. I wonder. Also, in this world, you know, whether it's actually happening or this is all in his imagination is to be discussed by us soon. <laughs> but when and why does he exercise restraint? Like, he doesn't kill those girls the first time. Why? I think he's not murdering people yet. They want to show yeah, him a buildup. He says that a few times. Like, I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. He's like, yeah, that he says, like, I'm losing control. Right. I also love that he talks about how he, like, doesn't have any feelings and he's not a real person. But then, here, do you want to quote that line where he's about to burst into tears? Which one? That he's afraid they're not going to get a table. Oh, yeah. I'm on the verge of tears when we arrive at a spas because I realize we might not get a good table. But then we do. And the relief washes over me in an awesome wave. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he does have emotions, but they are just about the He's most. also on the verge of tears when he enters Paul Allen's apartment because he realizes he has a better view of the park and thus pays more for his place. <laughs> <laughs> that part, I think, was my favorite, where he's like, I feel so panicked when I notice. And it's like, you think he's panicked because he just murdered someone and is trying to cover it up. Yeah, yeah. no. Where'd you get that overnight bag? And he answers. Yeah. Jean-Paul Gaultier. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like stuffing a dead body into in a yeah. trunk. Pretending to not be himself, but then he still can't resist <laughs> name dropping Gautier. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also all the Trump things where it's like, is that Ivana Trump? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that too. Why would Ivana Trump be at Texarkana? <laughs> and he's trying to act like it's such a cool <laughs> hot spot. <laughs> Dorsey is over. What does he say? Oh, yeah, nobody eats there anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like, similar to, the, to Christy leaving the limo that second time, I like that when he pretends to make a reservation at Dorcia. Chloe Sevigny's character is like, you didn't leave a name. Because I noticed it too. Yeah. I, I also, in the beginning when we meet her and he says that thing where he's like, you know, be a doll. And he's like, don't wear that outfit again. Wear a dress or skirt. Wear high heels. Like, you're prettier than that. That, I was immediately like, cool, not on his side. <laughs> yeah, same. And high heels. I love high heels. And then she's kind of like smitten by it. Oh, yeah. Patrick. She's like kind of flattered. He's like, you're prettier than that. And she's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Whatever. Come on. You're prettier than that. That's like the patriarchy. It's like the littlest backhanded compliment. And you're like, oh, my God, he likes me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which at the top of the movie, it made me wonder if they had had some sort of an affair or relationship. But then it seems like, no, there's just this like subtle flirtation. You know, if negging a girl for her outfit is considered a flirtation. And then, again, that moment, he's killed at that point and he doesn't kill her when she comes over. He almost does. Yeah. And then he asks her to go. He's a good guy, that Patrick Bateman. He doesn't take (laughs) a nail gun to her fucking skull. Well, Reese Witherspoon saves by calling in oh that's right but why does that save it it like breaks the tension of he's about to kill her and then that phone call happens and i don't know why but it breaks uh the the spell he's under where he's like losing control it, like yeah. snaps him out of it she's like are you still dating her and then he's like yeah maybe you should go i'm afraid of like i can't control myself yeah he's like i'm scared if you stay i will hurt you and she's, and you can tell she's like, oh, he's like emotionally hurt. He's nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get bruised. Yeah. That line was bonkers to me. I don't want to be bruised. <laughs> I think the most painful part to me, I mean, the chainsaw hitting Christy is pretty brutal, but still, I think the part that got me the most is when he kills the homeless man and his dog. Mm. Not just 
because of the dog, even though usually the dog will do it for me, but because he's like fucking with his feelings in a way that was really upsetting to me and like telling him that he stinks and he should get a job and it's just like the most entitled, I guess, Republican point of view. Yeah, that part is very true even today. Yeah. Like the GOP not giving a shit about homeless people, poor people, letting them die because, you know, they can't get a job or they reek of shit. Yeah. Well, and it's also... You, nothing in common with you. Oh, my God. It's brutal. <laughs> that line is really... That line is on the nose. But the just the idea, too, that it's like there's no understanding of situations. It's like, why don't you get a job? Why don't you just get a job? Yeah. Right, and that idea that it's easy for you, so it must be easy for everyone. Everyone's dad owns the company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, I had a job, but I lost it. And Bateman goes, for what? Insider trading? <laughs> just joking. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so smart. <laughs> you reek of shit. <laughs> He's so smug and gross. Yeah, I'm not empathizing with him at all. I think nope. there were more homeless murders in the book. I, and he does reference it in the movie, too, that he's killed a bunch of homeless people. Yeah, I read that they had to cut out a lot of the stuff from the book to get an R rating. Like versus an X rating? Um, and C-17. Oh, right. That makes sense. Because so originally... Have, but he can't fuck it. <laughs> That's the compromise. The movie was given an NC-17 rating, and then they had to re- they had to go to court, and then they had to do edits. Wow. I wonder if the NC-17 is available anywhere. That'd be hot. Silence from the girls. <laughs> <laughs> Although the parts that I like is, like, the dialogue more than the act. I don't necessarily like seeing, like, you know, dismemberment. I just like the way they talk and act. Yeah, but there's some moments in that, like, I think, and again, it's been, like, 15 years since I've read the book, but this did stay with me. I think what happens after his moment with Bono is he goes to the zoo and sees a little kid and maybe stabs him or something. He starts, but then he acts like he's a doctor and he's trying to save the kid. And it's really fucked up, but I feel like it is funny because as he's doing it, he's, like, thinking of Bono. Well, and I think child murder usually turns people against you. Yeah, which... For me, the homeless murder did that, too. And then he fucking stomps that cute dog. Ugh. I hate that. But yeah, it really fucked me up in a weird way. Like, I knew it was coming, but his his acting is just, like, so ruthless and so cold. And I think probably because of where we are now with coronavirus, where it's basically like, yeah, if you're poor, you're just fucked. You get sick and you die. And that's it. And we don't give a shit because it doesn't affect us um, until it does, of course, that it just felt like extra waited i was surprised in that moment like i said i i didn't i didn't see this um because i thought at first that he was gonna like lure him back to his apartment or something kind of like in groundhog's day how bill murray's like always trying to take care of that old man on the street and so when he killed him all of a sudden i just didn't see it coming Mm. yeah it was right out of the blue i think i remembered it from the movie and or the book (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you think you, were, you think you remembered it because you've seen it before <laughs> well i saw it in theaters so i was a very young person and i was it was a long time ago that i did either one that i read the book or saw the movie so it's been a good 15 years since any of my american psycho dalliances have you read the book by the way i have read the book oh, it's really? by Brenton ellis <laughs> and it stars christian bale wow <laughs> yeah it's crazy that was smart the though. book stars christian bale yeah, yeah isn't that nuts he wrote the foreword <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was also this thing in the book because I thought it was funny at the time and now I'm like oh it was just racist was he goes and sees this I think it's maybe like an Asian man doing karaoke I think or it's um, one of those restaurants where people just sing or do impersonations and I think it's like an Asian Frank Sinatra impersonator and it's written out 
that's Sry Come Hiddle Stale, that Clazy Witchcraft. What is that? Uh, basically, it's supposed to be like that song, but they switched all the L's and the R's. Oh. So it was like written out that way. So I guess in addition to misogynist, you could say Bretty Sinellis might be racist. Is he racist or is Patrick Bateman misogynist and racist? Right. It's all a commentary on like the bad people. So. Right. So who's to say? Like, I don't think Mary Heron is racist or misogynist. No, they're making fun of them. They're making fun of white entitled men, Republican men. Yeah. Yeah, especially that scene when they're like like at a boys club or whatever and they're all smoking cigars and they talk about. Uh, the perfect woman. <laughs> yeah. Or just that women can't have good personalities. It doesn't exist unless they're ugly. But also, like, the perfect woman is someone who will, like, satisfy all your sexual demands without being too slutty about it. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> what, what kind of tightrope is that? <laughs> yeah, Madonna whore complex. Uh-huh, you gotta really walk that fine line to be the perfect one. It is interesting to me how he's, like, talking about being very removed from human feelings and human exchanges, but then he is... Pretty hell-bent on getting Samantha Mathis's character, whose name I can't remember right now. He's like, he does seem like it's important to him that she's willing to come out with him. Which, why? She's like asleep, literally asleep at the table anyway. But it seems like it matters to him to have her out. Also, like, how is everybody having these affairs so publicly? Yeah, nobody seems to care. They're all disposable. Yeah. Nobody cares. I do like in that scene with Samantha Mathis, though, he's like, you should have... Like another, what is like, what is she on? Valium or something? Yeah. Oh, lithium. Oh, lithium. He's like, you should take a, you should take another lithium or have a diet coke or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the I caffeine. think the caffeine will help. <laughs> <laughs> like either or. <laughs> right. I also love when when he suspects that Justin Thoreau and Reese Witherspoon are having an affair, and he says he's the only interesting person I know. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even consider he, himself interesting. Justin Thoreau looks the same, also. Yeah. It's crazy. I said the same thing when we were watching. I know. I didn't know he was in this. And he's so hot. Timothy Bryce. I remember when I first watched the movie, I was annoyed because by the end, it seemed like it was all in his head. And it felt very much to me like, well, what was the point? And then when I read the book, it felt a lot more like it was happening. Um, And this time watching the movie... I do think there are elements where he's like exaggerating or inflating, but it felt more like I could see how it's not all in his head watching the movie now versus when I did 20 years ago. Jessica, what did you think? Was it real or was he just imagining things? Uh, I cheated. <laughs> I On didn't who? know. <laughs> We're telling Brad. <laughs> I didn't know what the answer was, so I looked it up and apparently. Uh, not too long ago, the director and the writer both came out and gave the answer. Whoa. I thought, maybe I'm wrong, I thought Brady Sinella said that in the book it was supposed to be real and she said in the movie it was supposed to not be real. So what I found was that they'd, uh, they both kind of gave interviews about it. I don't remember how long ago. But uh, that Mary Heron had, had said that she regrets the ending because she wanted to make it ambiguous like the book, but she felt like it was too ambiguous. Interesting. So was she trying to get across that it wasn't real? Right. That's what, um, and especially like the writer or the the co-writer also said, where she was like, basically in their minds, he did all those murders. He just um, exaggerated, you know, like how great he looked or how great the prostitutes looked or how, you know, the big explosion of the police car, like some of the stuff around it is like bigger than it probably, bigger or better 
than it was when it actually happened. Yeah, I imagine the like explosion of the police car didn't happen that way. Maybe there weren't even cops chasing him because I don't know. That seems like they would catch him. And maybe he didn't just like shoot a random old lady, but was killing homeless people and did kill prostitutes. So wait, she said the intention was always supposed to be that it was not in his head? Right. That he just, he's like a um, an unreliable narrator. So the world you're seeing is like uh, better and bigger. But he did kill those people. Well, it's oh, interesting because it, it is. Does that ruin it? Is it? That's why I was like, I cheated. I'm like, does that ruin it if I tell you that? <laughs> well, what I was going to say is it is ambiguous. And she says that it's ambiguous. So I think it still is in the eye of the beholder. You know yeah. what I mean? And the journey for me is the enjoyable part. Whether or not at the end of the film you decide whether he did it or not doesn't really affect it for me. I always assumed that he wanted to, but he didn't actually because everything was so fake. Well, the confession scene is, I think that's my favorite part. Not the confessing, but when he meets up with the lawyer, he confessed on a voicemail too. That's great. Yeah. I don't think this is funny anymore. <laughs> yeah. I love I that they, like, nobody knows what he looks like. Like he's so Nobody easy. knows. Yeah. So if that, if the murders were real, then how would you explain that guy being like, this is fine. I had dinner with Paul Allen a week ago. Because Paul Allen is also interchangeable. He had dinner right. with some other guy who he thought was Paul Allen. That's a hundred percent my interpretation. That's so funny. Brad asked that same that same thing because he last he he watched the second half of this with me last night. Yeah, when and I, that's that what I said. The They're all none of these people know who any of them are. Yeah, <laughs> right. Unless you're like burning with jealousy the way he is toward Paul Allen, you're not going to remember who's who. But they all look alike in a way that is so uh, you know like on purpose that. If they have glasses, they have the same glasses, and it, they're like wearing the same kind of clothes, and they've got the same complexion, and they get their hair cut by the same people. Though I have a slightly, and they're all haircut. vice president. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's funny because when I saw it in theaters, I remember that was the clincher for me that made me think it was all in his head. But then when I watched it now, exactly what you said, like it was like, oh, that's funny. Even his lawyer—I mean, literally, his lawyer doesn't know what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> his lawyer can't tell his own client apart so how is he gonna you know know what paul allen looks like i'm patrick bateman <laughs> the part to me that makes it more ambiguous is the apartment yeah oh, because he yeah he commits these murders it's like the big climax where uh christy or poor christy is running through the apartment and she just cannot stop finding dead bodies. And it's very like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which he was watching earlier. Yeah. Uh, and and she, she runs around. I guess all the details can be as embellished. So, yeah, where it's like, like there's a body in the bathroom. Yeah. She's running around there's screaming a- and he's chasing her naked <laughs> with a chainsaw. Nobody wakes up in the building. Yeah, nobody catches her. Naked, naked except for uh, like shiny white tennis shoes, <laughs> which I love that detail that he had time to put on shoes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he never took them off. Yeah, true. <laughs> but there's bodies and there's blood everywhere. It's like every room she goes into, there's more carnage. And then he comes back to clean it up the next day and the apartment has all been painted and there's a realtor, realtor selling it. Yeah. I love that you say he comes back to clean it up. It never occurred to me that that's why he was coming back. Oh, why do you think he was coming back? I don't know, to relish in the carnage. <laughs> and Because he goes straight to that closet. I yeah. thought he was picking up a Snapple. but to me that part you could argue makes sense both ways and doesn't make sense both ways because like if it if it wasn't a crime scene why is the realtor fucking with him and being like it wasn't in the new york times right to me that 
that could be like a real estate thing of like, um, if you're a real estate agent, you probably have weird people showing up all the time and you're trying to discern who is your client and who is like a possible creep that's just showing up to an empty house. I guess so, but he's like well-dressed. I don't remember exactly what he looks like in that scene, but generally he doesn't seem like a creep, even though he is. He seems pretty creepy to me. <laughs> he just has to return some videotapes. <laughs> it overlaps a little with um, being there for me because it's he, uh, Chauncey Gardner always says, I like to watch. <laughs> and then this is, I have to return some videotapes. Chauncey Gardner's not a creep. Yeah, it kind of, to me, made sense if like it had been a murder scene and she's just trying to fill the apartment anyway. And crime scene has like collected all the data or whatever that, but like, it is also so crazy that it's so immaculate so quickly. But then at the same time, if he didn't really do it, what is with him? Like he records the outgoing message (laughs) and then everybody's like, yeah, Paul Allen's in London and he invites women over to Paul Allen's house and he gets the key off of Paul Allen's body. Like if it's in his head, then he imagines everything. Yeah, it's hard to draw the line of what's real and what's not. If they're like, some of the stuff is real and some is not. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's all, I, I think it's one way or the other. But uh, if, if it's real and they, then those are really terrible police because they just, they just really uh, clean that crime scene super fast yeah. <laughs> and painted over all the evidence. And I don't, uh, it's Maybe it's also a comment on money wins. Who cares if there were murders here? We need to rent out this apartment. We're bleeding cash. Capitalism. Mm-hmm. We have bigger problems than Sri Lanka. <laughs> also, he defends Jews, which I can't help but kind of be offended by. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's that scene where he gets uh, uh, with um, Matt Ross, where he the, Matt Ross thinks he's hitting on him when he's about to strangle him. Oh, yeah. And, He's so grossed out by the idea of homosexuality that he then washes his gloves in the sink. Yeah. That's a great detail. And, like, runs away crying. I wonder if he is gay. Patrick or Christian Bale? Patrick Bateman. Maybe. You could see him being a repressed person, like, who's taking it all out on women and murdering them. I guess he murders one guy. Well, and in theory, he might also murder the, that security guard. Right. Mm. And the other. And the janitor. Yeah. And one of the cops. And Oh, that part where he, he, shoots, he shoots the security guard, runs out, and gets in the revolving door, <laughs> and a janitor comes out, and he just keeps the full revolution to shoot him and then revolve out. Yeah. Why is that not in more action movies? That's a great move. That's a great comedy. <laughs> yeah. It's, Amir at that point was like, this is basically Top Gun? What did you say? Oh, a Naked Gun movie. Oh, yeah, Naked Gun. <laughs> right. I also really liked when they were doing coke in the bathroom, and Justin Thoreau, like, flips out, and then he's like, sorry, dude, my steroids. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, the, the world is so amped up that they're all, like, they're all on coke, they're all on steroids, they're all on lithium, everyone's having sex with each other, everyone's obsessed with business cards. It's great. God, I miss the 80s. <laughs> I love with the business cards that, by the time... Lewis Carruthers comes with his business card. Bateman's posse is over it, but Bateman is still so invested. <laughs> he really cares. Well, and I also love uh, the the OCD of the neat freak with it, where he's like diving across to put a coaster down. Oh, yeah. And flips out when like Chloe Sevigny is like going to put her, her sorbet down. Put it in the carton. <laughs> <laughs> the spoon, yeah. Oh, also the like insistence when um, 
uh, Willem Dafoe comes to the office at bringing him, was it like a soda water with yeah. lime? A was Polinars. It? I can always get you a lime. I can always get you a lime. <laughs> yeah, that line's so good. <laughs> well, and he says at some point, you know, you can always be thinner. You can always look better. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, now I relate to him because it's just like you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> He's a starving man. Yeah, like, you know, being in Hollywood when I'm trying to, like, lose weight and stuff, I'm constantly a nutcase. So maybe if he just ate some of that sorbet, he would calm down a little bit. Yeah, how does he – I guess it's a it, there's a dichotomy of self-control because on the one hand, he has this stuff in his freezer next to the woman's head um, and has the control enough to not eat it. But we, he can't control himself when it comes to murdering women. I think we never see him eat. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. He's at restaurants, but we never see him, like, put food in his mouth. Yeah. I think it all goes together, though. It's like he's trying to control these urges so much that he's controlling everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm realizing I don't think we ever see any of the rich people eat, not just him. Like Evelyn, when in the breakup scene, they both have untouched dessert in front of them. All <laughs> right. Um, and we definitely see like plates of food. I can't remember right. if anyone eats they it. They like restaurants and they like food, but not eating it, just looking at it. Yeah. He also drinks a lot. Ooh, that's kind of a nice tie-in to when he says to when he says to Sabrina, "Don't just look at it, eat it." That's kind of like uh, them with food. Oh uh, yeah. Only he's referring to Christie's asshole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did really like his bathtub, though. I don't remember his bathtub. He made Christie wash herself in the bathtub, and I was like, "That is a cool tub." It's like black <laughs> and a square. See, you like him. It was cool. I was into it. Also, I like his fury when somebody, I I think it's Paul Allen saying that he tans at home. It really does (laughs) foreshadow Trump, too, because like in hearing them talk about tanning beds, I'm like, who thinks about tanning beds? Who cares about tanning beds? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Trump. (laughs) That's the only male that I can think of who like. Tans. Yeah. But Trump was the biggest deal. It's like New York in 1988 or whatever. He was the poster child. He's what they all wanted to be. But he's also exactly that of like, my dad owns the company. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't work for anything. Yep. And I can get you into that restaurant. <laughs> yeah. A lot of and then you get there and it's a different restaurant. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was funny too. How he's like tricking her into thinking they went to Dorsia. Also that you assume that it would be like a secret, but then Carruthers is like, oh, thank you for taking her to yeah. Dorsia. <laughs> it's almost like a weird thing of like. I'm so flattered that you wanted to fuck my wife. <laughs> yeah, they're so like non. They're like property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like if, if like he'd be offended if if Justin Theroux wasn't having an affair with Evelyn or something all like. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he doesn't care at all, and that's a great moment too when he says, "God, Amir, you probably remember the the exact quote, but in the breakup scene with Evelyn where he says, like, it's just that I don't really care about you is all. What does he say? <laughs> yeah, I forget the exact line. Something like, you're insignificant to me is all. You just don't matter very much to me. And the amount of times that he tries to tell people what he's doing and they just don't hear him or they choose not to, like when he keeps saying, uh, he's, what do you say, murders and executions? And they're like, yeah. oh, murders and acquisitions. <laughs> yeah. There is, like, it's an interesting look at how he just desperately wants to be caught. You think so? Oh, yeah, because then he's really unsatisfied when the lawyer won't give him credit for it and doesn't believe him. And and that's, like, from my limited experience with true crime, there's, like, truth to that, that, like, they want credit. They want people to know they did it, which is why I think when he when he confesses, he confesses to all sorts of things that we didn't even see of. It's, like, he wants credit for every single crime he committed. 
I killed a lot of people. <laughs> it's interesting because I know that about true crime and like actual criminals. But I felt like in this, it was more that he felt like he was going to get caught. So he was trying to get a lawyer's help as soon as possible. But then once the lawyer is like, I know that little, what does he, how does he refer to him? That lo- not loser, but what does he say? Oh, yeah, that sure. weak. Right? Yeah, he basically is like, I would have believed you if you, maybe if you hadn't said Patrick Bateman. Like yeah. that guy was, <laughs> is never capable of pulling that off. Because even me, not a murderer and not wanting to murder people, if somebody was like, yeah, I would believe it if he didn't say that. Avital loser, I would still be like, I could kill people. <laughs> what do you mean? But yeah, I don't know. I just, do it, want credit. I felt like in, in the frenzy of it that he really wanted credit, especially because throughout the movie he name drops famous serial killers. So there's yeah, definitely right. like that need where he's like, I, I am – like them. I want to be famous like they're famous. Yeah. Which anyone that like starts quoting Ed Gein, I'm like, red flag. Yeah. Ted Bundy. I love that nobody knows who they are either. Ed Gein? Yeah. Ted Bundy? Who are these people? <laughs> I feel Do like Ed Gein's a little bit more believable that you would know his name, but I'm like, everyone knows Ted Bundy's name, right? Yeah. From the Zac Efron movie. Of course. <laughs> Zac Efron would be the Paul Allen if they shot the movie today. Every time they said Paul Allen, that's the owner of the Seahawks. So I, as like a sports fan, I was like, why do they keep saying that so much? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that was, if he was already rich and famous then, that's why they used that word. Well, at some point, I think it's uh, when the detective comes in, he's like uh, saying he's got a lunch with Cliff Huxtable. And I was like, from the Cosbys? <laughs> yeah, uptown. Oh, yeah, there's a recurring thing of people telling him he's, like, not going to make it to where he's going in time. <laughs> All right, if you are any character in this movie, who are you? Oh, boy. Uh... Timothy Bryce, a.k.a. Justin Theroux. I'm the most interesting person Bateman knows, and I'm <laughs> fucking his wife. How cool is that? <laughs> okay, sorry, why is that you? How is that you? Because I'm hot, and I'm interesting, and I'm sleeping with Reese Witherspoon. But how? <laughs> well, the equivalent of Reese Witherspoon. What's that? You. Okay. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> Jessica? Uh, I think there's definitely part of me that would be like Chloe Sevigny. That would maybe, I don't know if I would be now, but definitely in my 20s of like being uh, charmed by being told that I'm prettier than this. <laughs> I think I I would have fallen prey to that. (laughs) You're better looking than that. (laughs) But then also like a little bit of like Willem Dafoe within like uh, I'm I'm trying to do a job, but I'm also slightly getting won over by these people and and being willing to go have lunch with them and stuff. Yeah. Like that's relatable. What about you? I think I'm Courtney Rawlinson, the character played by Samantha Mathis, because if I were having to be around these people all the time, I feel like I would be on a lot of drugs and that would be how I would cope. And <laughs> as it is, I'm already like, fuck, why didn't we get to see Bestia? So when she's too fucked up to leave or do Dorcia. anything or care. Sorry, Dorcia, <laughs> not Bestia. Bestia is the real restaurant. Yeah. So because she's like, no, I'm just going to stay home. And then he's like, I got reservations at Dorcia. And she's like, Dorcia? So I'm like, I get it. I want to see it. I don't know what it's like there. Also, I like drugs. Yeah. So here we are. We just have to drug you up and then we can tell you we went places. And then I can tell other people I went there. So mission accomplished. In fact, we're just at an olive garden. (laughs) Or a soup plantation, RIP. That's how you get through quarantine. You just believe you went out. 
Yeah. So did you guys love this movie or what? I appreciated it. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I can ask for. I liked it a lot. I wouldn't have liked it as much, I think, directed by a man. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was really interesting that it's written and directed by women and that that kind of puts an interesting spin on it that I like. And I'm glad that Leo didn't get it and give it to a man to write and direct. Yeah. This feels like it's a different take, a different voice. It's like, I really appreciate that it's a complete vision. Yeah. And it has a very clear message, which I appreciate. What's that? That yeah, capitalism don't trust is, men. That- yeah. Republicans kill people and nobody seems to care. And it's true even today. Oh, yeah. Don't trust men with a skincare regime. That's right. So smooth. Just say no to men with... Oh, yeah. How many times does he say, just say no? That's a very <laughs> Nancy Reagan talking point. Well, we did it. I think we didn't love it as much as you did, but I liked it very much. All right. Yeah. I'll still give it an A. I liked it better than Funny Games. Wow. That's good. I appreciate that. I appreciate how much uh, Naomi Watts is in Funny Games compared to how little Reese Witherspoon is here. I liked, uh, you know, I liked (laughs) my my women actors up front, but I think this was a, I liked it better. Well, Reese Witherspoon, I think, is funnier in this than Naomi Watts is in Funny Games, despite the title. (laughs) It was, I thought Reese Witherspoon was really great. I wanted more. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, my favorite scene was hers. That line was my favorite. I just don't think it would work in response to him proposing a breakup. (laughs) So good. All right. I hope you guys are staying safe and sane. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye.